0: The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. I'm joined today by David Olney. How are you, David?
1: Very well, thank you, Tim.
0: For the classic intro, as always, (laughs) we've also got a very special guest, a regular host of the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Peter Thompson.
2: Hey, uh, it's a pleasure to be
1: here.
0: Gentlemen, the three of us, I suppose, are, I don't want to say fans so much as
1: grateful for Mm,
0: Jordan Peterson. It was actually a significant part of this podcast starting up for the longest time. Our two episodes on Jordan, Jordan Peterson's first book, 12 Rules for Life.
1: They were our biggies, weren't they?
0: They were our most listened to episodes. So we're back with the follow-up, or the follow-up to the follow-up, because we even did a little announcement about his uh, illness as well. Yep. With his second book, or I should say third book, is Well, it's his third
1: book, but the second one that is readable.
0: Right. The sequel sequel to 12 rules is 12 more rules for life, which is Beyond Order.
1: Which sounds like it should be the start of a great follow-on to Babylon 5. (laughs) Futuristic sci-fi, Beyond
0: Order. I don't know where we're going to start with this, honestly, because I haven't finished
1: the book. Well, I think it's a very good thing to be honest. Mm. Tim hasn't finished the book. Why haven't you finished the book, Tim?
0: It's hard. It's a slog.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It is genuinely not an enjoyable read. From my perspective, there are moments of intellectual brilliance as usual. Then there are sort of faith-based claims where the argument is long and not very convincing then there are doses of hyperconservatism, mm. where I go, "Wow, I really don't want to live in your head or your world." And I think the reason, you know, Peterson's head is an awkward place is because his worldview is such an unpleasant place to be. Yeah, at least that's my take. Peter, where are you at?
2: Well. Just recently, ta Coates, I don't know if you're familiar with Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, a journalist for The, uh, the Atlantic, I think, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Um, where he made his. Um, yeah, know the man, but I haven't
1: read much stuff.
2: He, I, I think the most infamous thing he wrote was talking about um, his um, mixed feelings regarding 9-11. He said he, was, he had mixed feelings because of America's terrible history of racial injustice. And it, that, that was one of the more controversial things. Would have been.
1: got him in a world of trouble at the time.
2: Certainly did. Um, but uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates has been asked by Marvel to write uh, one of the latest Captain America comics. And this Captain America comic features Red Skull, who is the um, red, red-faced ex-Nazi evildoer. And in one of these frames of the comic, uh, Red Skull is there talking about uh, his 10 rules for life. Oh, dear. Chaos and order. Um, (laughs) So, so, you know, Jordan Peterson is still very much kind of um, at the the center of this whole weird cultural moment that Mm. we're at. Kind of being put in pop culture now, you know, Captain America comics as the villain. Um, there's another, um, there's another uh, part of the comic from later on when it talks about, Captain America talks about the young men, weak, looking for purpose. I found the flag, you found the badge, mm. they found the skull. <laughs> yep. He tells them what they've wait, uh, I'll do it in Captain America voice, he tells them what they've always longed to hear, that they're secretly great, that the whole world is against them, that if they're truly men, they'll fight back.
1: So that's kind of. I think of... you pretty much summed up where this whole episode's going to go. <laughs> Peterson reads a lot at the moment like a cartoon character. Yeah. And from where we were in 12, I think we'll distinguish them as 12 rules and beyond order. That's yeah, the easiest sure. thing, isn't it? That sure. way, everyone's very clear. 12 rules didn't agree with everything, but was impressed with the breathtaking range, depth, and integration of ideas and examples.
2: It was classic first album material.
1: Absolutely. The
2: band has been together for a decade. They've got nine killer songs and three mediocre songs.
1: The perfect album.
2: You put that... <laughs> I think you can see where I'm going with this. You put that on the album and then, you know, the the record label comes back after the album's a success. It says, we need 12 more tracks and you kind of well you try and collect them from wherever you can i suppose <laughs> you know and, and that's what exactly what made 12 rules for life so wonderful was the multidisciplinary nature of it yeah mm-hmm. cuz you would say he would say oh, stand up straight with your shoulders back and then oh well you know why cuz lobsters run on serotonin, it mediates their postural flexion. And there's actually a feedback loop. And so, and we're actually, it's the same system, but we come from a common ancestor. And so you need to stand up straight with your shoulders back or otherwise you're not going to be getting the serotonin. People are not going to be taking you like a dominant lobster. And you and that's why you stand up. You know, it was beautiful. It was history, biology, Mm. sociology, Mm. philosophy, everything, And, and it was this, okay. Maybe for like three rules, it was that. But those rules were genuinely amazing. And it spurred, at least for me, a whole bunch of my own learning.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. Just, the, just deciphering the layers mm. was rewarding. Right. Even if you didn't agree with everything.
2: Yeah. Beyond order, however... Is the it kind of vacillates like the things he brings up to reinforce his points? Are seemingly disconnected. Mm. Yeah. And you end up, you know, you're listening to this hour and twenty minute chapter about something, and halfway through, you're like, "What?
1: Where are we? am? Are we? Where? and Why are we here?" Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But the integration is gone. We now have the compression of different items under pressure. Yeah, mm. we're we're now trying to kind of compress, you know, residual, you know, leaf and plant matter thinking maybe we get coal, maybe we get a diamond. Mm. All we're actually getting is a peat bog.
2: <laughs> and, you know, it's it It just seems like, because at the at the start of the book he says, you know, you need to remember I was writing this and I was in and out of hospitals and I had pneumonia and yeah. I was put into a coma in Russia and, and all of those things are, <laughs> are actually true. But it reads like that.
1: Yeah. But at the same Wait time... another year if it's going to take that. But I, a- I don't think that can be seen... It's an explanation of where he was at, mm. but the integration is just missing, and the conservatism is more extreme, mm. and the misquoting of philosophy is more extreme, mm. and the reliance on faith is more extreme. He's in a sense pressure-cooked at his own work, and in doing so, rather than integrate everything, mm. it's somehow broken it.
2: It's it, and, and at the same time, it seems like because of his success following 12 Rules, that there was far less... It just feels to me like he had far more carte blanche, far mm. less editorial yeah, The editors pressure. weren't
1: going to put red lines in the way they would have. I know, but they needed to. Yeah. They
0: yeah.
2: really needed to.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, where the first book felt like a perfect articulation and distillation of you know a plethora of self-help books, this feels far more political, far less...
1: He's been dragged into the world that was attacking him. Well, yeah. It- he got attacked because of the political moment we're in. And he will never, I don't think, admit it, but he's actually now you know, sent out a salvo into the political world. Mm. He's now staked, in my opinion, a political claim, no longer a personal way to explain how he understands the world and makes sense of it and lives in it, mm. despite all his claims that that's what it is. This is far more a, a, a personal set of... Body armor with hard elbow and knee pads to you know to whack the journos and the political world. Then it is something that you can read, understand, and integrate the good bits.
0: But that yeah, you almost can't even take any of the rules out of context in, in some sense. Whereas I think in the first book that it was easy to just take you know rule one whatever it was and just you could literally just integrate that
1: into your own into your own life. thought but system. I'm not sure it was a that... useful heuristic and they don't feel like useful heuristics. Yes, to the same degree.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that abandon ideology, rule six in Beyond Order, is something that I could just, without the rest of the information just taken,
1: no. plot Be- in my life. Because it's, in a sense, it's ridiculous because with the sheer complexity we're dealing with, we need models to aid comprehension. That was exactly my first the thought. The trick is to not <laughs> believe in the model as being truly the same as the world. No, it's a usable representation. So all we really need to... Diffuse Rule 6 in mm. Beyond Order is Huntington's introduction to clash of Civilization. The world is too complicated and we need models and ideologies in order to make sense and to guide our decision making, but they never replace a full understanding of the environment. They're there so we can take action in real time.
2: But this is what's so bizarre. Jordan Peterson argued that himself mm. in Maps of Meaning. Yeah. Mm. that It's exactly what he said. He yeah. we need the scaffolding. Yeah, and an, that's
1: what Maps of Meaning was. Of an ideology. You can't have all this in your head. Mm. You need you know, a structure that allows you to put things in the right place. Right. All right, we've jumped into number six. Should okay. we get all the <laughs> I was gonna, jump into number one? I was going
0: to say, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll come back to it. We'll return uh, to six. I, I want to at least... I want the audience to understand that anything that pretty much I say beyond rule three, because that's where I'm up to, which is hideous because I've had m- more time than I probably should have had to read this book. But, um, yeah, but it's an
1: indication that, you know, it's not it's not a joyous read. No, I've not wanted to pick it up.
2: If you're interested in Jordan Peterson and you're interested in reading one of his books, um, maybe go back and, and read 12 rules and or then go
1: back to Maps of Meaning after that. Maps of Meaning and maybe get to this third book. Really informed Mm -hmm. and willing to be very skeptical. Yeah.
2: Or, you know, go on YouTube and check out some of his lectures, which are all online. His, um, uh, I think, is an undergraduate program they're all online if you just want to learn about you know the history of um, psychology or anything like that or psychological theories that are actually referenced and that's another pet peeve he doesn't reference anything in the book no (laughs) i feel like (laughs) a couple of references in there would be good but that would also kind of highlight Mm. his kind of um um, you know waxing the poetical as well right would kind Mm. of keep that out which i'm not sure he would want but yeah Uh, there's lots of good stuff out Mm. there maybe it's not this but, um, hey, anyway, rule rule one, right? Well,
0: yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I just want to uh, at least uh, say that uh, anything I say will pretty much be just intuition, not an informed response as opposed to the, the two of you in this discussion. Yeah, but that's sort of that's useful. good. You bring
1: mm-hmm. questions about what we're talking about. Sure. Which might help us clarify what we're talking about. So that's never a bad thing.
0: Yeah. We'll start off with rule one. Do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement.
1: I mean, that stands as a sentence. Seems like a pretty positive start. And there are chunks of the chapter that I found to be very positive about why social institutions are so important, how they work, how they add value, how we contribute to them. But then I started thinking about it in comparison to when we interviewed Nicholas Christakis Mm. and showing that sociability is at the center of our identity and things that society build. We challenge because society is the constant the institutions are what we reform. Yeah. So when I was started on the Peterson I'm like, "Oh, this is this is okay as a first you know, a first chapter." But when I started comparing it to Kristaus, I thought, "Actually, if I wanted people to understand these points about the nature of society and the nature of what society builds, I would send people to Kristaus." Mm.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, this one I think had quite a lot of religious quotes in it too
1: that was more so than in the first book more so than in 12 rules well this Mm. was
0: i think of the three chapters that i read i think if i'm remembering correctly this one had the most where he would 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 give a lot of um he would actually reference the specific lines as well that he was saying. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that he didn't have these academic references in there. But, but he would do biblical ones.
1: Yeah. Well yeah. he
2: did this really good YouTube series called The Psychological Significance of the Bible. Right. And he went through the Old Testament and then using, you know, cited sourced psychological theories he would say you know maybe maybe it means this maybe it means that it was it's a really interesting series kind of using the biblical stories as a framework for psychological investigation Mm.
1: so fundamentally that set of lectures became the foundation for the first rule i think so beyond order became
2: became the basis for all of the dribbling of um of religious stuff in this uh, Mm. book i think yeah
1: so did you get anything particularly redeemable out of the first rule other look, than duh, we're a social being and you need society to be valued? But it's almost like he's taking the potential for reform out.
2: Absolutely. Um, look, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, I remember back when I was um, kind of like, a, like a, a late teen, I was really into Nietzsche mm. and I thought, I'm gonna make all of my own values. And that was a terrible idea do not make all of your own values I maybe seem to remember
1: we had a conversation where it came down to that means there can be more ice cream and masturbation
2: find somebody who knows what they're talking about some kind of authority figure and, <laughs> and maybe maybe just do what they're doing uh, unless you have a really good reason mm. um, you know and and It was interesting because he did talk about the one thing I did find interesting about this chapter is that he talked about you need a community. You need some kind of Mm. um, culture that you're a part of and accepted by in order to be mentally well. Yeah, And I think that's definitely what I found when I was going Mm. through my kind of... Uh, like a teenage anarchist phase, I suppose Mm. you could call it. I
1: I need to be alone, but it's really bad for me. Sometimes (laughs) that's a little lost in Peterson's
0: message when, especially when he, um, uh, perhaps rightly. So it talks about the importance of the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't hear him talk about the importance of the community necessarily.
2: Well, I mean, you know, you could, you could steal man his point and say that this is the book it's meant to be about the, the first book was meant to be. You know, I don't think this is the case. I think just all of his best points put into the first book. But the first book was meant to be how to bring order out of chaos, and this mm. one is kind of how to introduce a little mm. more chaos into order. And yet, it,
1: the first rule doesn't do it. No, it fixates on a conservative view of social institutions. Mm. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And even if it is broke, don't fix it.
0: <laughs> mm. Can uh, I, I was really intrigued by. Playing the game, I I'm not sure I actually followed it necessarily. That was this chapter, wasn't it? Uh, where he, he was discussing, you know, if you are a bad sport, um, you even if you like win, you 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 still lose oh, yeah, out. The, because you need you're not to part play the game
1: properly. Mm-hmm. So really, once again, this is something that Nicholas Christakis deals with much better. Okay, that people in a, a sort of a positive social setting playing properly works so much better you want to be part of what works mm. and you know the wonderful example in the christakis book is the example of the different groups that got shipwrecked on that same little island i think it's somewhere off of new zealand or something it was yeah yeah and you know the groups who came together built boats got off the island got rescued looked after each other mm-hmm. the groups that couldn't come together destroyed each other mm-hmm. and you know literally all died mm. so it's the ultimate microcosm you could never test and what it really means is that the mix of people you can end up in an individual situation can be pro-social or antisocial, and that you can require a driving force to move the anti-social towards the pro-social. So why didn't Peterson just say that clearly? <laughs> that if we become sufficiently anti-social and atomized that the idea of playing the game in a sports-personally manner... Mm is vital. Mm-hmm. That That's all that need to be said. Mm. I guess we can move on to move, uh, rule two. I think so, unless mm. Peter's got anything else in his notes no, no, that no, he no, wants to bring up.
2: No, I, th- I think that, that wraps it up really well. Imagine
0: who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. I like that. I think that's a... That's a um, that's just a self-help rule, right? That that seems yeah. to be more this, true to them. This
1: is the missing rule out of 12 rules. Mm. That's the one that could have made it 13 rules in my opinion. Mm. Because it fits very well with the one in 12 rules that says, you know, look after yourself like you would look after someone for whom you are responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's more than that. It says don't just be kind to self, but say, "Hey self, what would we like to achieve?" Mm. Well, let's work towards it. And I guess being the second rule, the context is meant to be within this social setting. Mm. But when you've indicated that the social setting has ossified and that you're having to teach good sportspersonship, how do you shape this idea positively of be the best that you can be? Mm. Mm. Yeah, He relies on a, a Christian compass, and that's okay, but we don't need a Christian compass because pretty much all religions in human history have the same positives so we could just have a all of history do these things that are good for other people don't break those rules when you're trying to promote yourself so really we could just jump to conscious capitalism and say do well while doing good mm-hmm. that's all we'd have to say
2: i mean i, I think i i have the benefit of studying psychology in parallel to reading this stuff, because I can kind of go, ah, it sounds like he's referencing this or he's referencing that. In this one, and actually in a lot of them, and this is the thing, he never brings it up. He never, he never cites the studies, so you can never be... You can never be sure. But yeah, you have
1: to be studying what you're studying at the moment yeah. to go, hang on, he could have put this reference in and given people a clear understanding of the foundations yeah. of what he's saying.
2: Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, it's weird because I think another one of these rules is don't hide unwanted things in the fog. And it's like, well, yeah. put the references in the, <laughs> in, in the book then, Jordan. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he was talking about there's there's, um, there's a, difference, a difference in the literature between uh, happiness and meaning. Mm. And this is in the psychological literature. Yeah. Um, you know happiness is self-gratifying whereas uh, whereas meaning is self-transcending yeah but but meaning in terms of uh, emotional regulation in terms of um, uh, yeah the emotional regula- uh, regulation of the of the of the person over time it is much more useful in volatile situations than happiness yep. happiness completely evaporates during um, moments of chaos yep. whereas meaning, Gets you through mm. and so if you if you want to look at how this rule could be supported by the literature it would be take on the meaningful life if you if you think about the best the most good you can do and then focus on transforming yourself to that you're going to be less mm. uh, 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 you're going to be knocked about less by the vicissitudes of life mm. as you make your way towards it yeah mm. Well, not, you, not that he brings it up. No. Not that he says, uh, you know, this is actually a a well-defined part of the literature.
1: You could just read Maslow and Frankel and go, there's meaning in work, meaning in love, and meaning how you confront suffering. Yep. And you need to work out where you are on the hierarchy of needs. And put those two together and you've got 60 years of literature, 70 years of literature. Can you say right. that again? Sorry. Meaning in work, meaning in love. And meaning in how you confront suffering. Okay. Interesting. Yep. So they're the three forms of meaning, and they all both affect your emotional regulation and how you interact with other people and how you function within the system.
0: I think there's a Buddha quote like that. It's um, people only need three things: some something, something to do, someone to love, and some and something to hope for. Which mm. is slightly different yeah. to well,
1: again. I. I don't know anymore how many ways Victor Frankl's realizations from surviving concentration camps have been rewritten in different languages yeah. or linked to older statements. But the point is we have an incredible link here to old traditions and to modern psychology and none of it's referenced. Mm. It's not acknowledged that here he is standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm. And as much as we're not saying that it has to be written academically, none. acknowledge your sources
0: I mean, the first book did that, though, so it's not as if it's not. There's like not a precedent, right? No. Um, sorry, uh, twelve rules, I should say, not the yeah. first book. Uh, should we move on to "Do not hide unwanted things in the fog"?
2: Oh, well, I was just going to say with sorry. um. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, no. Just just to kind of finish up number two. There's an interesting. There's another path in there. You know, he he talks about. Um, uh, there's a quote. He says with will and luck you will find a story that is meaningful and productive improves itself with time and perhaps even provides you with uh, more than a few moments of satisfaction and joy with will and luck you'll be the hero of that story the disciplined sojourner the creative transformer and the benefactor of your family and broader society mm. and that's a very and this is another thing that's a very Jungian idea. Mm, yeah. He doesn't mention Jung, I don't think, <laughs> once no, in the not book. Directly. But that's Jung. Jung's kind of part of Jung's psychotherapy was to help people yeah. um, relate to the archetype of the hero in the stories. Yeah. So, say, mm. Well, do you like any stories? And you go, Oh, I love The Hunger Games. I yep. love Star Wars. And it's like, Well, you're being Jungian. Who do, who do you like? Mm. And why do you like them? Oh, mm. I like. I like Katniss because she rises above her station and, Mm. you know, through her wits, she, she makes relationships, she makes things better for people. And, and so the, the part of the Jungian psychotherapeutic approach is to help people identify with that being that can transform, Mm. you know, that, that could, uh, that could transform into something that you, that you thought was valuable. Mm. And, you know, and, and that's, that's that's the thing. So you know, we've talked about we've talked about Jung, we've talked about Frankl, we've talked about all of these interesting um, uh, people and ideas around the rule, which is kind of trapped without referencing them. You know, yeah. it is kind of in his, in his kind of, um, in his desire to make it his rule. Mm. I think it's actually it's actually weakened what he's trying to say. A yeah, little it's bit. In, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: Two things that makes me think of. First, from the psychological perspective, we know that humans actually don't normally have a very high level of will, Mm -hmm. but we're good at doing habit and habituating things till they become normal. So, why is a clinical psych and a lecturer talking about will when all of these rules could be applied more beneficially through habit? You know, we have the amazing literature from people like James Clear and Charles Duhigg, you know, on how and why to build habit, Um, and what's luck got to do with anything he's talking about? Mm. He constantly goes back that life is going to be terrible. The, The constant theme in this book is that terrible things are going to hit you. It's just a question of when. And that is true to some extent. But for most of the last century, most people in the developed world have had fairly extended periods where things are pretty all right. And a lot of people have lived pretty ordinary, all right lives. Yeah. You know, are you warning that the world's going to get worse? Is this him sort of, you know, beginning the Jordan Peterson doomsday cult? Because at no point does he acknowledge the state of the world in terms of the real things we physically know are going wrong. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, like the collapse of biodiversity, all sorts of other really important things. So, what version of doom and gloom is he actually opting into? It's not the explainable version of doom and gloom. It seems to be the weight of thinking it's all going to go wrong that is part of the reason why his anxiety is so high that he ended up having to be on benzodiazepine. And there's no problem having to go and get treatment and take drugs to deal with anxiety and depression if that's what you need to do. But acknowledge that your worldview has been affected by the state your mind is in. Mm-hmm. Don't tell all these young guys that are going to read this book who've not studied psychology or philosophy that doom is coming and then be unclear about what doom that is. Mm. That does sound cultish.
0: Oh, I mean, people can make it whatever they want.
1: Precisely. Again, the wonderful example Peter brought up at the start of the Red Skull.
0: Yeah.
1: Some found the flag, some found the badge, and some found the skull. Yeah, wild.
0: (sighs) We'll move on to rule three do not hide unwanted things in the fog
1: great idea didn't need an hour
0: uh yeah yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) um I mean I like this I mean it has like a um it's great relationship advice in fact actually you can pretty much get that from uh the five love languages Mm. yep yeah which I know is a bit of a cringe book but um it was in there so (laughs) Mm yeah yeah it, yeah, it, I, I, that's that's the thing I took out of it most. I mean, this is the extent of my reading, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm up to. So well, I Lucky. will jump. To Lucky a, you! <laughs>
1: I, I'll jump to a friend's comment that was his sig line, your signature line on forums for years when people still used to use forums online, <laughs> and it was telling the truth means not having to remember what you say mm-hmm. mm. or said. Yeah, mm-hmm. telling the truth means not having to remember what you said. Is that
2: a Mark Twain or something?
1: I don't know. I just always associate it with. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's a great line, though. And it's so true.
1: Um, So, again, we could have had the title for the chapter and that one line, press repeat. Yeah. Mm.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm going to have a look at my fantastic notes here. Yep, because you
1: have notes because you're a super orderly
2: dude. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, So he talks talks about this hilarious uh, anecdote of a couple and uh, the guy would come home for lunch every day. His wife would serve him lunch on these tiny little side plates. And he hated them and he... Kept it inside for 20 years that he hated these little side plates. And then one day, obviously, when the stress of work or, or other pressures had gotten to him, he said, I hate these damn tiny plates. And um, that's, a um, you know, I think that must have come up in one of his couples therapy or one of his. Uh, uh, wasn't it his uh, father in law? Oh, right. Yes. Mm, no, it family. was his father in law. And so the, the idea behind that little anecdote is to have the fight is to. Express what you have a problem with because otherwise it's torture to endure it every day. Mm. There's no reason. As long as you're being polite and courteous mm. and and asking for the minimum that would satisfy you, mm. there's no problem with, with expressing that.
0: The best way, I think the, th- the best thing he said in that chapter was have the damn fight.
1: Mm. Yeah, mm. like just say it, you know. Mm. Um, but then that should never come to a fight. If you just said could we please use the larger plates because I really don't like dropping crumbs on the lovely clean table <laughs> where you've turned it into the ultimate poo baguette? Positive, negative, positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so like coming home and having lunch with you every day, but could we please use the bigger plates because I really don't like dropping crumbs all over the lovely clean table?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the things. I, there was another anecdote, and I can't remember if it comes here or later. It's from his um, from his clinical um, um um therapy talking about a woman who whose husband put all of these terrible pieces of pop art uh, it's yeah just like after 50 yeah, yeah. pieces of pop art and i have to wonder whether or not that's actually not just a a kind of a um uh like an anonymized way of talking about him well, he, I was and, say, he and his wife later
1: in the book he talks about make your your know, one room beautiful and talks about all the art in their yeah. house yeah. like not many people collect Soviet-era pop art.
2: Yeah, so Jordan Peterson's house is filled with Soviet-era art and it just seems to eerily um, uh, eerily match this oh, anecdote so about mm. the wife yeah. who's frustrated with the pop art that's mm. all throughout the house. But anyway, uh, so the, the idea is that People avoid fights about that type of thing, especially when there are other problems that have been unresolved because you mm. think, oh
1: God, I can't gotta... start the small thing or everything's going to unravel. I can't talk yeah. about, I can't talk about So the, the big lesson in this is, you know, we're terrified that starting one thing is going to make everything unravel, mm. but it doesn't seem to me to emphasize that actually a lot of small things can, can be brought up in the traditional structure of a poo baguette. Mm. Positive, negative, positive
0: Okay The the thing though I think he misses Is that A He doesn't describe Which things are actually Your problem Or As in your problem With the plates Mm. Or is it the plates Being a genuine problem In the world Mm. You know Are you being narcissistic And identifying that As a problem Or is it actually A problem that could be Easily solved You know
1: Well I think that's the thing That obviously could be Psychologically If it's got in your head And it stays in your head And keeps aggravating you Right yeah, you know, that that's like the little bit of you know sand mm. that turns into a pearl. Didn't matter how it started. The reality is it grew, and it would seem to me that the psychological literature would offer a much more sophisticated way to analyze this than we're given.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, right. But so, what? How much charity could you be affording the the little plates? Though, let's say you know. That I'm just trying to let me let me just give well, an example because I want to pick up the plates. So. like, what if you help pick? Them? Okay, well, then that's yeah, then that's that that's obviously that's silly, but like, I will give an example right from my life because you know that's what I do on the podcast. Jade is directorially challenged. I find that I prefer to drive places because that I know where I'm going, and if I am have to think about that anyway, I might as well drive mm-hmm. when Jade drives on the occasion. Um, she struggles to find her way to where she needs to be um, and is continuously a- asking for my direction. Now, th- th- the entirety of the time that I've known her, that has never changed. I'm not sure that it ever oh,
1: will. So, you either can drive or navigate, but one way or the other, you can't have an app.
0: That's right. That's yeah. how I feel about cars, mm, right? Yeah. And, so, and, and I express <laughs> my frustration with that, but I'm not sure that it will ever solve the situation. Is, you know, not hiding this unwanted thing in the fog actually helping? What could I be changing about the way I'm viewing it that would actually help
1: the situation? No, no, because this is different. The plate is an external little thing that can be easily changed. Exactly. But someone learning a skill that would mean if you've had the longest day at work and you've got a throbbing headache Mm. and you can barely concentrate and you guys need to go somewhere. Yeah. You at the moment still just going to shake your head and drive. Yeah. And make your day even longer. Yep. That that's fundamentally, yeah, you know, a people dealing with people issue. Yes. Versus a thing in the world issue. Right. But I, there was world a, are, I feel like that's missing
0: from the chapter because yeah. you can't treat everything like a plate. That's, no. That's
1: Precisely. Right. Well, that again, lovely line. You can't treat everything like a plate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I that's all I found that was missing from that personally because you know I wanted I wanted I wanna I, I want to adopt this but I'm not sure that it always helps because mm, lots of things
1: aren't like a plate yeah <laughs> a plates relatively simple
0: yeah mm.
2: but you know it's you know it's the that um that it's the ache in your leg that you know that you that you don't get checked out it's the mm. the lump in your um on your scrotum you know you've got to get that checked out you know my um my fiance, she had swollen ankles um, a couple of weeks back and I thought, hmm, swollen ankles, that's really not a proper thing for a 28 year old woman to have. And so I was like, Pia, you're you're going to the doctor. You're going to the doctor. And she's like, no, I'm just gonna ice them and sit them up, I'm like, "Mm hmm. You're going, going to the doctor. You're going to the doctor. <laughs> now, anyway, it turns out she has a um, an overactive thyroid. So it's Graves' disease. Oh, wow. Very, 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 very important that we picked yeah, it up. Very yeah.
1: important mm. that you know what it is and, and it be treated.
2: Yeah. Yep. So, I, I mean, it's like when it's stuff like that. You know, that's that's, I think, where the chapter mm. is most relevant, it, you know. And, you know, when there's a thing that you need to be paying attention to, you're like, mm. you're like, oh, this drawer is going to fall off the hinges the next time I pull it out of the desk. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but I, I want to do something else now. And, you know, you leave it for three weeks and mm. the next time you pull the drawer out. Crunch. Yep. Crunch. You know, it's that type of that type of thing. But, you know, I think everyone knows that really, mm. or maybe not.
1: If you can't talk about a plate, Mm. how are you going to talk about the person versus person issues? Yeah. Like, Mm. really, they are not the same. Mm. Yep. If you've picked the colour of the curtains and the couch together and it was three months saving to do them, that has become a person issue. Mm. Yes. Because it's fresh. But, you know, is anyone going to be pulling out the handmade china for lunch? Probably not most of us. So, that plate is really physically should not be that significant a thing that it turns into a people versus people no. issue. Mm. It would be really weird if it did, which raises far bigger questions about what the real issue to be discussed is.
0: Right, it's that's an interesting thing. So, it realistically the plate is being frustrated by the plate is an indicator of deeper things going on.
2: Yeah, the plate is the plate is a it's a representation. It's like And yet yeah. we're not
1: being Jungian, so how can it be? Mm. <laughs> well, jo- mm. Jordan's not being Jungian.
2: Mm, he doesn't mention Jungian.
1: No. <laughs> Do we want to move
0: on? Yeah,
1: couldn't
2: do.
0: Notice the opportunity that lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Rule number four.
2: Yeah, um, uh, this one, this one's interesting. Mm. Um, he kind of what I took from it is he's saying don't. It's kind of like, it's kind of like rule one mm. in a way. He's mm. saying uh, there are structures around you, established structures. You should try and use those and integrate those to further your aims, rather than trying to strike out by yourself. Mm. You should be willing to um, be an apprentice you should be willing to be the the holy fool mm. um, and uh, and learn to be able to perhaps augment your abilities to to do whatever you want in your life mm-hmm. and and uh, to kind of exemplify that he tells the the ancient Egyptian story of uh, Osiris and Horus and set yeah which is
1: uh murder chopping bodies up and all sorts of weird stuff
2: osiris he's the king he kind of represents a structure in the old ways and the established religion and he gets messed up by set because after a while he gets too bored with keeping things good and then he goes he gets one of the and then um what is it then oh what is it the the uh um,
1: the queen of the
2: underworld isis impregnates Mm. herself with well,
1: puts all the bits back together.
2: Osiris is no, she impregnates oh, herself yeah. with Osiris's severed phallus, mm. and Muzo represents the the seminal idea of the state, and becomes pregnant with with Horus. Mm. Okay. Horus also loses his eye in a battle with Set, yep. but then goes into the underworld, provides his instead of putting his lost eye back in, gives it to his father. He says, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. And then gives it to his father to revive him, and then brings him back and rules jointly.
1: So no, 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 man. He doesn't rule jointly. He oh, has he- a joint, and then rules. Oh. <laughs>
2: well, that rules too. Yeah,
1: because after all that weird shit, we know there were joints involved. <laughs>
2: yeah. So um, you know, it's uh, 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 that's uh, that's what his point is with that one. Okay, it, it's something like make use of the infrastructure and the structures around mm. you, even if they're not. Even if they don't completely gel with your vision, they will get you further than your pure vision will mm. get by itself. Which
1: yeah. is the quintessential conservative viewpoint. Yeah, that the system as is is always a better bet than creating a new system. Mm-hmm. But we see there's times in history where we're reforming the system. Ideally, your first preference is to get inside the machine, be trusted by the machine, get to a position of sufficient authority to start, you know, developing and improving the machine. Mm. But sometimes that isn't possible. So to me, the more important question is always try and work with the machine until you can prove it's impossible to work with it or improve it without breaking your moral compass Mm. and your sense of what is right. And that is not what he argues in the chapter.
2: Mm.
0: Interestingly, I've got a conservative friend, maybe not consciously conservative, but he said something to me yesterday where he said that um, he felt guilty for being on welfare for so long. And that feels like, not this idea, right? That is, he's not fitting in with the machine. Is this right? is this a fair thing to say?
1: Oh man, there's a big machine overall that says there is a safety net, but conservatism has gone to that darker point of saying, if you need the safety net, you have failed. Right. Mm. Not just that, if you need the safety net, isn't it great it's here? Now, how can we help you? Which is mm. all society needs to do. Most people don't need to feel any worse than they're feeling when mm. they can't make their life like they'd like it. Mm. that makes you feel bad enough. Mm. You don't need to be told you're a failure mm. and you know it appears that well, this has been sort of the Protestant work ethics dark side. Look at what you can achieve, but if you don't achieve, it's all your fault. <laughs> <Yeah>. great <laughs> and It was something I was you know talking to an American friend about yesterday, so much of this philosophy about relating with institutions, access to resources, what you can achieve, was all written in a period where there was a lot less humans and there was a lot more stuff. Mm. Where if you had a dream and you knew how to get things done, there were always spare resources. There was always somewhere with some spare land, some spare materials to make things. There was a new market to sell it in because the population was growing and they were going new places. Mm. Well, everything's changed. We're now in a world where there are less resources than we need. Mm, mm. Other way to put it is there are now too many people for what we have left. This fundamentally changes the idea that working inside and with the system is okay. Because the system is still assuming we can use more, we can have more, we can waste more. And if you fail, it's your fault. Mm. Well, failure becomes infinitely more likely in a world where there isn't enough. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And not recognizing that we're in a world where there isn't enough and that failure is more likely. And that the more important question is try and work with the system. But if it's going to break your moral compass or your sense of purpose to make a better world, transcend it.
2: You know, but there's, you know, and we've been talking about, and I agree that, that this book reads a lot more conservatively than some of his previous stuff, but there is one little tiny glimmer of, um, of hope in this rule. Mm. He kind of he talks about using your dissatisfaction, your emotion of dissatisfaction or your emotion of, of anger or, or upset, um, using that as a map. To direct you mm. to where you ought to invest your energy and attention, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it, you know I couldn't help but thinking of um, the BLM protests in America that we mm-hmm. had last year. That certainly uh, might have been the climate um, in which he was writing it. But mm. you know that that's that's fairly progressive ish. That's less mm. conservative. That's yeah. less red skull. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, you yeah, know, you, you, and and that's a, it's such a good point as well don't just wallow in your resentment mm-hmm. realize that your resentment is a prescription for mm. what you could do to feel less bad or, mm. and and mm. to and to make the world less bad at the mm. same time mm. so that i thought that one was pretty good using your learning to use your body as an instrument for navigation
1: mm. but it's it's more than your body because it is a question of is this system causing me moral injury mm. And knowing you need to get out of it before it does. Mm. Because, again, from doing the episode on David Graeber's book, Bullshit Jobs. Bullshit jobs, bullshit systems cause moral injury. Mm -hmm. They make people less. And people who become less don't have the will to step out. It's too late. Mm. They become long-term victims to the system because they know the system's done them harm but they also no longer feel they can do anything about it. So the fact that Peterson magically thinks will will get people through. Mm. No, you need to have moved sideways and have transcended before your will is broken, because will is not big and strong. And I don't know, I I almost wonder with this book, because he seems to believe in will so much, Mm. is this is why he needs faith so badly, because will is weak and faith needs to make will stronger. Well, how about we just acknowledge you need to be situationally aware enough to go sideways before your will is broken. That is a much more human realisation. That is accepting that we have psychological and physical limitations. Mm. And the best thing, you know, again, I'm talking to a friend the other day about, you know, when people are going through training to become SEALs and they go through drown proofing. Mm. Oh. And what you learn in drown proofing is the first time you think you're gonna drown, you're really not. The second time you think you drown, you're getting close. The third time you think you're going to drown, get out of the water. The most important thing is not to tell people to have more will. The most important thing is to know when you've had the second exposure to, I think I'm going to drown, Mm. and to make sure you're out of the water at that point. So realigning between the sensation of the first sense of I'm drowning and the second sense to something more productive that will get you out of that situation. So for someone trained as a psychologist that's meant to recognize the limitations of our neurology, why are will and faith so significant to the argument? Mm. Mm. Or at least I have a problem. with it. And it's not that I normally have this much problem with faith. Because if faith guides people to be really productive and really moral, well, so be it. Productivity and morality is awesome. But here we're using will and faith to make up for we didn't act early enough because we didn't switch on early enough. Mm. Or at least that's my take. Mm. I think I must have to come up with a big take because you two normally don't go quiet. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's spot on.
2: You know, and that kind of segues, if I dare, into the next rule. Absolutely. Which is to not do what you hate. Do not do what you hate mm. is rule number, uh, rule number five. And that talks about um, one of his uh, clinical clients who is a, I think they were from an ex-Soviet satellite state. Oh. I'm pretty sure. And they had this, they had a workplace that was very into the political correctness Mm. uh, kind of movement. And it was this nightmarish internal bureaucracy. Where they would spend weeks debating whether or not flip chart was an acceptable. Yes,
1: they'd have a different word, didn't they?
2: Yeah, yeah. they called it a, uh, I think a writing block. I think eventually, mm. um, because and for those who didn't haven't figured it out, apparently that's a slur. Apparently, it's a slur for a Filipino person. Yes, the F L I P. Yeah, flip. Yeah. Uh, oh. So, uh,
1: but this is a hyphenated thing, flip chart. It's physically in the room. Yeah. How can that be a problem?
2: So this this person was um exposed to weeks and weeks of debate about whether or not there were flip charts were acceptable what the alternative could be whether or not there were any other problematic mm. problematically named uh, office appliances that were around and um and and jordan's advice was to don't do it don't do it go go somewhere else and you know her client uh, his client did go and work somewhere else i think at which point I think did he say that it was worse at the next at the next <laughs> workplace?
1: I think it might have been. I think that was another point by which Take I was glazing over going <laughs> <laughs> once again we've got to the point of going let's look at this from some other author's perspective. We'll jump back to Graeber again. Mm-hmm. Uh unproductive environment, what do you spend your day working on? If the work is meaningless, you spend the rest of the day talking about things that are not that big mm. because you can. Mm. The flip chart thing should have been a three-minute discussion if it was a productive workplace where people felt engaged in what they were doing. Mm. They would have gone, hang on, flip is slang for a Filipino person. Uh, well, how about we make sure at least it's always called a flip chart? Yeah. Mm. With a hyphenation. Yeah, yeah, and we're identifying that's what this thing is. You turn pages, they go over the top, we see the next page. If it was a productive environment, so there's a deeper question of, if you have to turn up to a workplace like mm. that, is it because you have no other choice? Is it because you've been broken to the idea there's a better choice? Mm. So engaging in verbiage for weeks is something you do to indicate that you know this is a rubbish environment, and not because we're talking about flip chart, but because we can spend weeks talking about flip chart. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah, just a just a Kafka esque bureaucratic middle management nightmare. Mm. Mm.
1: So there's a, you know, a deeper question there of do not do what you hate. It's, well, why do you have to do what you hate? Mm. How do you get stuck there? Well, you get stuck there because you can't spot early enough that you should get out mm. and or you don't have a choice to get out. So where's the tools for surviving that? Mm. Because in an economy where underemployment grows by the year, Jobs become more and more valuable, immaterial of what they do to people. Until we solve the underemployment issue, an awful lot of us are going to have to do you know, things we hate. Mm. And That's how do we survive it? Where else is the meaning? Mm. Where is the meaning in our relationships outside of work? Where is the meaning in our activities outside of work? We're facing suffering at work, but how are we facing the suffering? Mm-hmm. Are we falling to the level of it? What do we do to balance up the lack of meaning at work, the lack of productivity, and not let our identity be crushed?
2: (laughs) Don't ask me. I haven't been able to find good, steady work in years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're back studying. I'm back studying kind of an indication that we're in a pretty weird world oh
2: mm. oh it's terrible mm. well look i that's why i've gone back to study psychology because i figure you know uh, the economy is so bad i can't find work right now anyway so i might as well go back study psychology and then hopefully in five years time there's a lot more depressed people around um, willing to bet there well, will be again yeah, i'm
1: studying uh, crisis communications because yeah. all we're going to have from here on in is crises
2: when we're sitting <laughs> around the campfire 2030 And we're trading bottle caps, which are which are redeemed (laughs) for vegetables. We're going to be able to barter that. Uh, Lie lie down on the stone.
1: You Mm -hmm. heard it first here. Keep those bottle
2: caps. Those bottle caps. That's currency of the post-apocalyptic future. (laughs) COVID-30. Did you hear? There's a new strain. There's There's uh, always a new strain. There's a new strain.
1: Awesome. Is this the Indian one where there's two mutations at once? Oh, no. I d- or is there no, worse than the I, Indian no, one? No,
2: I, th- I was talking Oh, no, there's more. No, I was talking about... There's a South American one. I thought it was kicking around in Brazil. Oh, well, the Brazilian
1: one managed to, I think, kill Ford. Oh. Was it 4,000 people yesterday? Oh, no. Lord,
0: like they need any, you know... More challenging situation to get harder at the moment.
1: Yeah. Anyway, you can see, audience, the fact we're digressing means we kind of are struggling.
2: Oh, sorry. I just wanted to talk about Mm. something interesting for a couple of minutes. So, yeah. So, number six, I think rule number six is one where we can butt heads and maybe generate a little bit of interesting discussion. I think so.
0: I think this is going to be the the biggest one. Because I'm going to get
1: stuck in about the fact that he quotes a Nietzsche book that Nietzsche didn't write and that his editors let him get away with it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what was that,
1: David? The will to power was actually written by his sister paying two prototypical Nazis to chop and change words Nietzsche had written and create a book that had never existed.
2: Uh, was, uh, so will to power, and we're still, we've still only got
1: her versions of it? Uh, will to power was all the bits from he'd never published. It. Ah, the it's, unpublished notes. Yep, so she as a proto-Nazi had them put together in a way that suited her worldview. That's view. right. So the fact that he is relying on will to power... As a book, not the idea. Mm. <sighs> Frightening stuff. Mm. The th- okay. The the
0: impression I get from this, right, is that you don't want ideology to make you make enemies of people that you know nothing about.
1: Yep. Don't let it reify you. Yeah. Right. Don't see the world as the ideology. Because that's
0: right. it, the broad point might be, you know, not all rich people are thieves. Mm. <laughs> yeah, which I struggle, I, I as a, I genuinely do struggle with because I, I just tend to think that people with that oh, massive amounts of wealth, aka billionaires, have really just appropriated it from hardworking people in poor countries and in their own country. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that would so I genuinely struggle thinking that, you know, XYZ billionaire, however self made they are, mm. have not just really just appropriated wealth from other people who deserve it more. Or not more, deserve deserve a, a share or whatever of that. Yeah,
1: but we now understand from all the economics we've learnt that financialization was never on the positive side of the productive boundary. Mm. So that the world has been reshaped to make rent-seeking acceptable in a way it never was.
0: So, But that's ideology, is it not?
1: Yeah, it is. So what we're seeing is that a very particular ideology has fundamentally altered how wealth moves right, and is defined and is managed and used to control people. Yes. So what we've seen is a particular financial ideology, a particular economic ideology, used to benefit a very small number of people mm-hmm. and those who serve them, Mm-hmm. at the expense of nearly everyone else. Yes. yeah, so that's not a question and we need to ditch ideology. We need to identify the ideology that is being used to brutalize us. Mm.
0: my question but so my intuition is though that I shouldn't be making enemies of every billionaire that exists. no, it's just okay.
2: to, it's I, I, um, I think it's more to be careful of isms because mm. they present a they present a, almost isms present things as univariate. Problems, right? You know uh, the the examples he gives: the economy, the nation, the environment, the mm. patriarchy, mm. the people, the rich, the poor, the oppressed, the oppressors, mm-hmm. and things are invariably more complicated than that. You know, yes. you, you need a my my big pet peeve is the gender pay gap because when you use a granular multivariate analysis on it, some of that falls away. The majority of it falls away. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what you need to do. But you know, you are. I think allowed to have a problem with with the ultra rich mm. and the kind of and the systems of, mm. of global. Well, have a problem
1: with how the system let them keep getting richer yeah. without adding value.
0: Well, because the, the ultimate charity that you could provide them is that they don't know that they're being thieves. Right. <laughs> However, then that invites the question of if you have that much power and 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 money, how could you possibly allow yourself to be that ignorant to the system.
1: Because there are so many people that want to serve you and get a slice of the cake, recognising they can't get it any other way but serving the hyper-rich. That's it. So, you know, that wonderful and terrible series, Entourage. Yeah. You know, an awful lot of people make their life up for someone who is pretty clueless. and Mm. Are are any of them going to get rid of the clueless person that makes the money flow? Hmm. So part of our thing is we're not willing to be part of the entourage because it would require doing moral injury. Right, yes. Mm. So that that is a different problem. Our moral compass means we can't succumb to the ideology that is, if you don't know how to get the billions, work for the people with the billions. Mm. Yeah. And the interesting distinction between moral compass and ideology, never let an ideology be you know, seen, understood, or experienced as a moral compass. Yes. It's not. Mm. It's an oversimplification of the world to make analysis possible mm. and to make description possible, and it's always incomplete. And the only people to whom it probably seems complete are the rabid right and the rabid left mm. who can only deal with a simple world because they just want a reason to be angry and to know how to apply their anger to make a world they like better. Right. Yeah. So they want to keep it simple because without it being simple they couldn't, you know, understand or improve the world in the way they think they want Yeah, and
2: to. you wouldn't have a fun baddie to be able to rail against. No. You wouldn't have a Red Skull, yep. would
1: you? No, or everyone, a Captain
2: America. Everyone needs a villain.
0: Well, the, the funny thing, and you can take this back to Chris Sarkis' point maybe, but the, the interesting thing about that um, shared enemy is that it unites... Mm. It, it, it unites yeah. people to what a common cause. Ideology
1: yeah. allows people to have a common cause. Mm. Whereas, if we have to come together because of common moral compasses, it takes a lot more time and a lot more effort to well, understand that's, each
0: that's other. That's our current problem. Would you? Not, that seems like a good, yeah, articulation of that in terms of well, it, current it, society.
1: Again, where was religion, and why is religion still so powerful? Because it combines moral compass and ideology.
2: Oh, mm. yeah. In a a distinct in-group and out-group.
1: Yep. And because it can combine moral compass and ideology, it's the easiest way to get people on board with what they personally need and on board within a bigger system. Whereas ideology on its own, the further we drift into the future, is less and less got any moral compass in it. It's how do we explain the world to get what we want without saying what we've done to our moral compass to behave either that well or that poorly.
0: My hypocrisy is that I am willing to de- define other people as ideologues as a derogatory term, but I do not call myself that mm. despite having certain ideologies that I conform to use um, appreciate
2: but don't you don't you sit here multiple times a week and talk to people of various different Economic, political, religious, mm. social persuasions.
0: So the interesting thing, right? From the economic perspective, I'm not sure if David shares this view. I don't know any decent counter arguments to what I believe. And that's dangerous. But I haven't heard any. No, no. Yeah,
2: but you know, if if we if we start just giving if we start just spending money to improve the economy, mm. isn't that a lot like Stalin? No, I'm just joking. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joke. It's a joke. Oh my god! No, it's a
1: joke. I'm like, where do we start with that one? Get a big couch.
0: Because yeah, like I mean, look, and, it, and you can make that argument. It just doesn't. It just doesn't follow. Like, yeah. so it's not all socially beneficial things. are Are communist? No,
2: no. No. And And it's it's a slippery slope uh, argument, isn't it? If we, if we had a healthcare system that actually let people buy insulin at an affordable price, that Mm. would be one step towards communism. Which Mm. is, you know, it's a crazy argument. Yeah, it's a crazy argument. One step is one step. Mm. Um, Yeah,
1: and balancing freedom and justice. Yeah. So when capitalism kicked off, it freed a lot of people it got them out from under different forms of servitude mm. but it didn't free as many people as it claims to because eventually we got a new group of people modern slaves who mm-hmm. you know were subject to the capitalists mm-hmm. but then we started imposing justice on the whole system then we got to the point of starting to run out of resources so now we need to balance freedom and justice in a world with lots of people and not enough resources and in that It's the balancing act between moral compass, situational awareness, and ideologies that allow us to make sense of what is and plan what to do. Mm -hmm. So I think what he's trying to get at in the chapter, and probably I agree with this if it's what he's trying to get at, is that don't let an ideology be everything. Mm Mm-hmm. No ideology should be everything. Yeah. Because an ideology should always be contrasted with situational awareness and what it's potentially doing to your moral compass. Mm. But why didn't he just say that?
0: I afford a lot less charity to ideology on the, the axis of like social conservatism mm-hmm. versus social but that's because liberalism. Its,
1: its principal mission is to repeat yesterday in a slightly refined way. Which but it's works for both sides. Status.
0: I just afford less. I just don't even. I I I almost despise any ideology on the social scale. I I, I almost I because all of it just seems to have ulterior motives. All of it seems to. I'm not sure that any of it provides good analysis.
1: Well, it's the easy thing for people to believe in who don't want to be situationally aware. Well, this, okay. and don't want to contrast it with their moral compass. Mm.
0: It, it, let me know if this is a, a bit of a stretch. Right. Jordan Peterson, in uh, seemingly in this book, and maybe chapters one and and six, especially, seems to be saying that it's, it's careless carelessness, right? It, it is carelessness with ideology. It is mm. it is seemingly that you we shouldn't be adopting ideas or um, accepting ideas w- without proper consideration, because all it does is lead to the current kind of ignorant and arrogant chaos that we get in society at the moment where you say things like defund the police in response Mm -hmm. to black lives matter that just seems like a silly idea but if you only take the i don't know you could even say core principles or, or surface understandings of things like issues for african americans or surface level understanding of the the wage gap or surface level understanding of you know rape culture or whatever you might want to Identify, mm. you may end up in places or saying things that destructive. Um, yeah, this is the whole disruptive. This is the whole woke world, mm. right? So, wokeness as an idea is just being awake without knowing anything. It's 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 only understanding things superficially. Yeah. I feel like that is what Jordan Peterson mm. is especially trying to fight. That's mm. that's how I feel about. Yeah, those but chapters. then he's
1: doing that while at the same time having you know referred to. Nietzsche's book The Will to Power right. which wasn't Nietzsche's book Yes, it was Elizabeth Nietzsche's book where she was a proto-fascist <laughs> and had it assembled by two of her little proto-fascist minions <laughs> out of the remains of Nietzsche's book to make him look like he agreed with her mm. so this was the original book that the Nazis liked and that was first published in English it's the biggest misrepresentation of Nietzsche ever now The Will to Power as a concept is one thing that's a true thing and that's why Elizabeth Nietzsche used, you know, um, the title. Mm. But to make her brother look like a fascist mm. and for the editors to let him get away with using the book that makes Nietzsche look like a fascist is breathtaking on behalf of Peterson and his editors.
2: Well, you had well, you had a, 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 some portion of the um, Penguin Random House staff True. Uh, threatening to quit, mm. protesting. His book. <laughs> don't do what you hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then yeah, you know, and then you've got this lack of uh, lack of an editor, lack of any kind of uh, oversight. So over-side. they edited for
1: readability, but they don't understand anything about the history of ideas. I'm not sure if Man, they fantastic. did
2: I'm not sure if they did edit it for readability, it seems like. It just kind of went to print after a spell check. And it's Jordan. About time. It. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love him, but
0: well, I mean, like, okay, I, I, I want to take that little point that we just made about surface level understandings of ideology and that being super dangerous. Mm. If you don't understand the history or why they came about or what they were for or the people that came up with those kinds of systems, then mm. you're never going to understand exactly how they should be used. But mm. uh, and similarly, blaming external forces for your own suffering is isn't without use, as we've brought up before. Mm-hmm. But it's when you do it without first considering, actually, what can I do to make
1: myself better? Well, what is have, the situation and what st- responsibility do I have in the situation? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, What opportunity do I have in the situation, too? Could you just
0: argue that anything that he's really fighting against is just thoughtless criticism? <laughs>
2: he, he's. He, I think he's he, the best thing you could say is that he's fighting against oversimplification. Yeah. He's fighting I against a reduction of anything down mm. to its uh, uh, to uh, to an uh, overbroad low resolution analysis. Yes. But, you know, that does ignore that does ignore the reality of the world. Sometimes you do need to simplify things in order to have mass movements. Mm. So, you know, so what's the rule really? Abandon ideology except mm. when ideology is a practicable step towards a better ro- world for people. Yeah that would let them explore issues more objectively yes so is don't do it unless you want do to properly. do it and you could do it and you could do it properly and then you can do it but uh, mm.
1: but don't do it <laughs> but don't do
2: it
0: gentlemen i want to split this episode up into two sections because we've um i think sufficiently dissected these first six rules and i would like our listeners to be able to come back and uh, listen to the following six uh, in beyond order his uh, third book I want to thank you both for being here thank you very much peter thompson hey it's a pleasure and thank you very much david
1: thank you gentlemen and thank you listeners
0: and you'll be hearing from us soon listeners hello audience thank you for listening to blind insights if you're enjoying the show please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us we'd love to hear from you get in contact with us on facebook or twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Oscars Network. Peace out.